Hey friends, welcome back to another Seed Talk with Lisa and Lane. Hey Lane. Hello everyone. So we are really happy to be here with you today um, talking about one of my favorite flowers. But if you've been here more than a minute, you know they're all my favorites, but I really do love this one. So Lane, tell us about what we're talking about today. So today we're talking about a cool season plant, a cool flower, but this one doesn't bloom in spring. It blooms in mid to late summer. And it's a species of Rudbeckia called Rudbeckia triloba. And it makes a fantastic filler flower at this time of year. And it's also really beautiful out in the landscape and appreciated by so many different creatures out there. Love this stuff. And we should also mention that when we're talking about triloba, this is actually just the straight species, Rudbeckia triloba. It's not a particular cultivar or something. Right. Although you can find cultivars if that's something you're interested in. And it is also native to parts of North America. Yes, very much so. Yes. So we'll be talking about Rudbeckia triloba today. And it's one that Lisa and I absolutely love. So let's get started. So if you're watching over on YouTube, I'm first going to put up on the screen some Examples of a different species called Rudbeckia herta, that's something that you might be more familiar with. And this has a lot of the larger flowered Rudbeckia or black-eyed Susan varieties like Indian Summer, Prairie Sun, Cherokee Sunset, Sahara. There are lots of beautiful Rudbeckia herta varieties. Yes. Triloba has a different overall look from these and it has a different stem structure. Yep. So triloba plants have these airy, branchy sprays with lots of smaller flowers. Right. They're typically somewhere around one to one and a half inches across. They can be a little bit bigger than that. And they have a really bright, cheerful yellow petal color and a dark center. And they're just beautiful. They're great as a filler or one of my favorite things to do with them is just to put them in this galvanized metal vase that I have. And I'll just put a huge bunch of just triloba in there. We love them, right, Lisa? What do you like about them as a farmer? Well, there's a lot of things I love about them, but I also love the little teeny polka dots that are on the cones. Look at those little yellow dots in that picture. Um, They're super precious. So as a flower farmer, um, I love them first off because they bloom later in the summer and into fall, um, which is just nice to have a different flower coming in because most of the other Rebeccias are pretty much done for us. But because it's what we call a spray, which means a stem that has a lot of breaks or stems, little stems with little flowers on it, it just makes for an awesome bouquet filler. Um, We never had enough for making bouquets, but our commercial customers also loved them for that very same reason. So we, that's why I grow, grew so much of it. You know, we could sell all that I could cut. What do you like about them as a landscape plant? Not necessarily even as a cut flower, but just out there in the garden. Sure. So um, we actually use this plant as the anchor for what I call habitat islands. Um, because they are, I will, a warning, they are very strong reseeders here for us. Um, and so I have to actually enhance that by allowing them to do that. And I have this 15 foot wide by 100 foot long island um, that this flower just really has spread out. Um, and we have literally flocks of gold finches that come to it, um, the birds and the pollinators, the native bees. Um, So we call it really home base to a lot of the 
the pest control here on our farm because it attracts and helps sustain so many beneficial creatures. Yeah. So it's beautiful and it has an important purpose out there in the garden. Yes. These little flowers are so cheerful. They have that wildflower look to them and they're just the quintessential late summer flower. Wouldn't it be true? It's really, really true. It's like the essence of, you know, I think of, you know, Indian summers. I'm talking about, you know, cool nights, warm days as we're moving. This is like the sign that that type of um, weather conditions here in southeastern Virginia are just around the corner. And it's just it's really, really beautiful. And I also agree with you, just them in a vase is really quite spectacular. Yes, for sure. Okay, in terms of winter hardiness, because I mentioned this is a cool flower, technically this is listed as a short-lived perennial. We know them to be hardy to zone five, but we've even seen them listed to be hardy to zones colder than that. So it could be worth an experiment if you live somewhere a little bit colder than zone five. Lisa, do you get them to perennialize for you or do you see more new plants the next year from reseeding as opposed to perennializing? Yeah, they, they're kind of super sleuthy. So you really have to kind of, if you want to figure out the answer to that question, um, you really have to keep an eye on your bed. But in my experience, they are not long-lived perennials, meaning the same plant does not live for more than one season or one season of bloom cycle. Um, but what does happen is they are incredible reseeders. And so lots of little plants pop up around your plant. Um, it makes you think that it's the same plant coming back year after year. But you wouldn't rely on those Never. old plants. So in your naturalized areas, you allow it to reseed. And then how about in your beds, your traditional flower beds that you would use for farming purposes? So, you know, it's really helped us having those habitat islands has kind of filled that niche. This is perhaps one of the only flowers that we rely on the reseeding cycle to supply us with the volume of cuts we need. That's how aggressive of a reseeder this species is. Um, So in my working cutting garden, we would plant this, you know, every fall by transplant to bloom the following summer. I mean, it's like this time of the year, ours are actually coming to an end where it what the the middle of August this year. Um, So they need to be planted where they can go the long haul until they bloom late summer. So you allow them to reseed in your habitat islands. You don't transplant new plants into there, but in your traditional flower beds used for cutting purposes, you transplant new plants every fall. Exactly, because we don't really allow, we not that we don't allow reseeding, stuff pops up here and there, but they kind of get in our way because that is our production part of our garden. And we want a certain number of plants per square foot to get the most cuts, you know, so correct. And how do you space the plants in the areas where you're transplanting it out? Well, you know me, I'm always trying to cram as much into a bed (laughs) as possible. And even those, these are incredibly... Um, branchy, tall plants, we still plant them three or four rows in a 30 inch bed and then space them six inches apart. Um, And it can get, I mean, we literally, when our triloba bed, it's kind of funny, um, when we start harvesting it, you know, like when we first begin, when it's just starting to get ready, I'm skirting around the outside edges where the most bloom is starting to happen to be able to have it as early as possible, right? Well, 
as pictured that you have here where they are in full blow, as I call it, when they are all open. Um, we literally just start cutting at one end of the bed and it looks like a forest that we have just mowed through. <laughs> and because that way, with the way when you harvest them, the way you pull them out, it helps to prevent from breaking side branches and to make the most out of each stem. Um, so yeah, we, we, we space them tight, but that's okay. They do great. And in your naturalized areas, do you go in and thin the plants at all? Or do you just let whatever comes up, comes up and you leave it? It is 100% untouched, untouched. We don't mow it. We don't do anything. I mean, it just totally replants itself and comes where it comes. And we've already mentioned a few times, they are really branchy plants. You might be able to see that if you're looking at the image right now. And they can also get quite tall, three to six feet tall. Do you net them in either your cutting beds or in your habitat islands? So back in the beginning of time, when I first started out, because they were so tall, I did net them, but they were basically impossible to manage cutting because of their branching habit is not branching, um, their branches face upward and they just, it was really, really next to impossible to manage. So we definitely lose it when we have torrential rain, they'll go down and then they're all crooked. Um, we definitely never net in our habitat islands, um, but no, so we do not net it and we just keep our fingers crossed during the month that we really do the heavy harvesting on it. And Lisa, you're in zone 7B8A. Your typical frost-free period for the year is from mid-April to mid-November. When do these typically bloom for you? So August is usually it. So here we are and ours are in full blow, just meaning they're in full bloom. So next week, it is questionable if the blooms will be blemished. You know what I mean? They've been open for a little while. So I'll be able to cut some next week and pick through. But the week after that, it's all about the native bees and the native pollinators and the birds. And how long would you say that harvest window is? Does it all come on in a flash? Or how many weeks would you say you're cutting probably, off? Probably four to six, depending on the season. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, I am watching this bed like a hawk. The minute I see a speck of yellow, I know that, you know, I'll be able to walk around the sunny side, the south facing side early on and pick um, and do some harvesting around the edges. Um, and then it'll be about two more weeks before the whole bed is just engulfed with blooms. And these are very prolific producers. How many stems would you estimate you get off of a single plant? Well, it all depends on how you harvest. So our plants are six foot tall, you know? Yeah. And if you cut the central stem, to the length that you need, which for us would be about 30 inches. Um, and you cut it at 30 inches because you're not getting regrowth when you make a cut like you do on a Xenia or Celosi or anything. So all of those branches that are below, in fact, may be usable stems. They might not be as hunky as that central, but they're definitely usable. So I would, and I was just counting this this morning. I think I counted 18 nice stems on one stem of triloba. And that was one that was on the edge of the bed, you know, so they're having more room. And perhaps you have to weigh, would spacing them further apart give you more of that behavior 
or would packing more plants in give you more better quality first cuts, you know? So you get a lot of stems. Right. And that's something you could experiment with and actually track the number of stems you're getting off the plants when they're spaced differently and then calculate per square foot what ends up yielding the best number of stems for you. Yes. So they're not cut and come again in the sense of you cut and they generate new stems, but they are cut and come again in the sense that you can pick off of them for maybe four to six weeks or the period you mentioned. Correct. So when do you like to harvest them? Because there are actually multiple flowers, like we mentioned, on the sprays at the same time. What's the proper time to actually make that cut? So if you're watching the um, show over on YouTube, you see that um, the stem that's on the left That is fully open um, and that would be the dream. However, to make the most out of this bed, you have to start cutting before this time and go a little past that, right? To kind of spread out the harvest. So my general rule is once there's two or three blooms that are open, so it actually looks like something, you know, in a bouquet, right? That you can actually see some blooms. Um, So I start as early when there's two or three blooms on a stem um, and go from there. And then we just harvest them until they're all fully open, as you see here. And that evolution of bloom opening can happen over weeks, depending on your season. And can you describe how you cut that stem and then get it out of that very branchy plant? Sure. So to keep from breaking it and all the others, so I reach in and cut that central stem where I need to make the cut. And then instead of typically you would just grab the top of the stem and bring it straight up, that tends to damage a lot of the surrounding branches. So I reach in and grab the bottom of that stem that I just cut and kind of pull it straight out um, to the left or the right instead of straight up. And then kind of loosen it. You kind of get the hang of it after you do it a couple of times. It's like you figure out which direct, that's why we mow it down like a forest. You know what I mean? We start at one end and it just makes harvesting so much easier to just keep cutting deeper and deeper into the bed as you eliminate the stems on the other side. And this is one that some people have difficulty getting to hydrate. So do you have any tips for preventing wilting after harvesting? Sure. So the two problems that we see people um, experiencing is they are either harvesting when it's too immature and, you know, it's just going to wilt or actually three things that as well as not stripping enough. You can't you just need to leave a few flowers at the very I mean, those stems that probably are in the top, I would say six to eight inches of the stem and we eliminate any foliage that's below that six inch. Um, And then also that was always the first crop right after basil. This was the first crop to be harvested early in the morning. I would try to get there before the sun was even on that bed. Um, And that just means that they've had a full night to recover. They've got all their carbs left over from the day before. And you're not going to, you're stressing them by cutting them. Don't stress them with sunshine. And as soon as, as soon as buckets would be full, we would run the buckets indoors and the air conditioning. And we just, we did great with it. And can you talk about using a hydrating solution like quick dip if you're having a problem with them hydrating? Sure. And so this is one of those flowers, you know, we talk about, I learned that little tip from an old season flower arranger that for those flowers that are iffy, that you have struggles with, 
Um, we prevent that from happening by putting what she called a splash of hydrator, which is quick dip. Um, and we have measured a splash into two tablespoons. And that just goes into the harvest bucket. So that means, and we also definitely use the CVBN tablets because um, it's a Rudbeckia. They definitely dirty the water and benefit from that. Um, so we put the CVBN and the quick dip um, and then that gives the first drink to that stem the maximum benefit. Um, and they do really, really well. So you combine stripping properly, doing it early in the morning with hydrator um, and you're kind of a home run. And that's two tablespoons of quick dip in about a gallon of water. Correct. We put, we measure one gallon of water per harvest bucket. And like we mentioned before, these will readily reseed. So if that's something that you want, leave some heads up so that they can reseed. If that's not something that you want, just be aware of that. But if you do leave them up, it will be appreciated by the birds and all right. the pollinators. Yes. Okay. And then what are your favorite things to pair with triloba in mixed bouquets? We've already talked about how both of us like putting them alone in vases as well, but what do you like to mix them with? Sure. They are just classic with any of the bright colors of summer. You know, zinnias and coxcomb and sunflowers and all the celosias and um, marigolds and gumpherina. I mean, it just accents and fills up. And, you know, it's so very interesting. People through the years, especially when we were at the farmer's markets, they were always like, what is that flower? You know, they don't recognize it as a black-eyed Susan or a Rudbeckia yes. as it is. Um, and it's just, it goes with pretty much everything, particularly anything that's blooming during that window of time. Yeah. It's just dainty and petite and airy. Yeah. And I even love just the cones with no petals on them. Have you ever used them like that, Lisa? I have not, but you know how we have used them. We have dried them beautifully. And of course the petals Ooh. shrivel and the cones don't. So maybe I have, and I just didn't realize it. Ooh, true. You're going to have to try that again this year. Yes. And I just wanted to mention one more time how much the birds will appreciate these seed heads if you leave them up in the garden. You know, I think probably one of the things that I look so forward to besides having just a great bouquet filler. I mean, nothing made my sister happier as the head bouquet maker here when we were committed to hundreds a week than to have triloba. But the Habitat Islands have just really become home base to a lot of great songbirds. Um, when we had our native plant landscape designer here who actually designed our border, came to visit for a, um, an addition to our border, she was absolutely fascinated. She said she had never seen flocks of goldfinches before. She said, I've seen a lot of goldfinches, but apparently the volume of these plants and the fact that there's so many individual flowers so that there's room for more birds, you know what I mean? Um, so be prepared to have a lot of great goldfinches if you create a patch in your garden. I recommend that you plant it where it can reseed so you don't have to start it every year. Um, in the first couple of years, I might still start it in the fall and see how it performs in your area. Um, because it is really a sweet flower to grow. Yeah. So you'll have a lot of yellow in your garden from the flowers, as well as from the beautiful little goldfinches enjoying yes. the seed. Yes. 
All right. Well, that was it for this episode on Rudbeckia triloba. Let us know, do you grow triloba? And if not, what is your favorite late summer filler? We'd love to know. And make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And we always appreciate when you leave a rating or review in a podcast app and likes and comments over on YouTube. So thank you so much for joining us again. So Lane, thanks for that beautiful slideshow. And friends, remember, if you're listening on a podcast, you can watch and see fit pictures, not to mention you can see us. Um, but we really appreciate you all dropping in. And if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing at the Gardener's Workshop, head on over to thegardenersworkshop.com, where we have a fully stocked online garden shop, where you'll find all the tools, seeds, and supplies you hear Lane and I mentioned on the show, as well as a full library of online courses. So we would love to have you join us over there. And so thank you, Lane, for another great show. And friends, until we meet again, ciao. Bye.